This is Passing Judgment, a podcast about the law and how it affects you. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson. Think of me as your personal law professor as we navigate the big legal questions of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers. everybody. Welcome back to Passing Judgment. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson. And today we are joined by Congressman Ted Liu, who represents California's 36th congressional district. Ted is now serving in his fifth term in Congress, and he sits on the House Judiciary Committee, the Foreign Affairs Committee, the Science and Space and Technology Committee as well. He was also elected by his colleagues to serve as vice chair of the Democratic Caucus. This made him the highest ranking Asian American to ever have served in House leadership. Congressman Liu is also a veteran, having served on active duty and then in the reserves for the Air Force. One of the things we're going to talk about today is Congressman Liu's expertise in the area of artificial intelligence, or AI. And Congressman Liu has established himself as a leader in this area, also with respect to cybersecurity, foreign affairs, and veterans. And I'm so happy that he can join us today. Congressman Liu, thank you again for being here and being a repeat guest on Passing Judgment. I want to talk about AI and the law, and you have a background in computer science. You're one of a handful of members of Congress with a computer science degree. You've been named by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in AI in the world. You're leading the charge to create a commission to recommend regulations for AI, And I think people are understandably scared of the unknown. Could you talk to us about some of the benefits that you see when it comes to AI? Uh, Thank you, Jessica, for your question. It's an honor to be on your show. I think that AI will largely be beneficial to society. It's going to have amazing effects in, for example, the medical field. I'm not an expert in human protein folding, but it did used to take a person five years getting a PhD to explain how you might fold one human protein. AI has now folded all 200 and some million human proteins known to humankind and given that to medical researchers. So you're going to see drugs probably get approved faster, uh, new drugs being developed faster. You're going to see advances in other parts of medicine. So it's very exciting what AI can do, at least in the medical field. Outside of healthcare, and I think that makes complete sense to people that there are things that AI can do that would otherwise have required you maybe to fly across the country, see different groups of doctors, try and get an expert opinion. But are there other areas where you want us to know, yes, there are detriments, but here are some places where look forward to what AI can do for you? AI is very good at detecting patterns across large amounts of data. So your credit cards are going to be protected even more because of the deployment of AI. They can tell pretty quickly if there's transactions that might look fishy or might look nefarious, and they're going to be able to do it in a way that human beings couldn't possibly do. So you're going to get better credit card protection with this new generative AI. Lots of national security issues are going to be affected by AI. It's going to largely be beneficial to the United States. And so there's going to be all these AI systems that you don't see, but you're going to be a beneficiary because there's going to be less people with their credit cards being hacked. 
Congressman Liu, you just mentioned national security and you mentioned it as something where AI can help. Are there also issues related to national security where we need to be circumspect and or where there are potential detriments there? Absolutely. So even before ChatGPT was released last year and stunned the world and before we saw these large language generative AI models, we had folks making deep fakes with video and you have audio fakes, you had pictures that were altered. So that is not new. What's new is that generative AI models let a lot more people do it a lot more efficiently and faster. So you're going to see, I think, a proliferation of deep fake videos, and it can also target people in a way that is different than before, where more people will be targeted and just be prepared for an onslaught of fake videos and fake audios, especially as we head into campaign season next year. I was just going to pick up on that. Uh, Congressman Liu, we met a long time ago when my main focus was election law. And I was thinking of deep fakes and campaigns. And is there a specific solution that we should be thinking about? I know I want to talk broadly about what are things we can do. And you've been leading the charge for the commission. And I know you've spoken very thoughtfully about not wanting to overregulate. But are there places, particularly when I think people who are listening to the podcast might be worried, well, how can I believe a campaign ad actually comes from the person who says it came from? And or how can I believe that a piece of negative footage is really true? So I have three responses to that. The first is simply to be skeptical of what you see on the internet. I wouldn't trust any video or audio automatically, do some double checking and just don't believe everything you see. So that's perhaps the best protection. Second, the industry is working on a content authority initiative, open source, that's essentially a watermark on a audio or a video or a document. And you can click on it and it'll tell you, are you looking at the original or has it been altered in different ways? Now, that could also be hacked because conceivably anything can be hacked, but it would be much more difficult to do that. And then third, I am very supportive of disclosure laws. I am supporting legislation in Congress that would require disclosure of social media ads. So if you were to watch TV and saw a federal campaign ad, let's say it was for me, at some point it will say, I'm Ted Lieu and I approve this message. Well, for social media ads, there's no disclosure. So if Russia wanted to pay for a whole bunch of ads promoting Donald Trump, no one would know about that. With disclosure bills, if it became law, then if next time you see a ad that Russia paid for in support of Trump, it will say at some point, you know, paid for by the Kremlin. So I think it would be helpful if we had disclosure as well. And presumably you believe that there aren't First Amendment issues related to disclosure, that disclosure maybe even would promote the First Amendment by providing the public with more information. So am I correct that you're not concerned that we're bumping up against First Amendment concerns when it comes to more campaign disclosure? I think if you follow what already is in place for mandated disclosures for TV advertising, I think that's a safe place. And coming back to this issue of deep fakes in the election, I think what I hear you saying is basically, one, we need to rely on ourselves more. We need to be better fact checkers. We need to be more informed. Two, we're hoping that the 
companies themselves will be good citizens in the sense that they will work with you. And three, you're working on disclosure, which, as we know, provides the public and the voting public with really helpful information in making their campaign decisions. Are you optimistic when you speak with members of the private sector when it comes to AI, moving into that kind of second point that you make? Are you optimistic that they will work with you? Because I think a lot of people have some worries when they look at social media companies and the proliferation of disinformation and misinformation on Facebook and Twitter and or now X and even Instagram and TikTok. Is there a understanding that, yes, we want to try and work with the government, for instance, and or provide the public with true information? I'm not sure that the content authority initiative necessarily needs to work with the government. There just has to be, I think, a standard that works that is quite difficult to hack. And I don't care whether the government comes up with it or the private sector comes up with it. And I do think most of the AI companies and social media companies and news organizations would like to have a standard that would mitigate the amount of deep fakes and fake audios and videos that people see. Is there a benefit to not actually having congressional legislation in this area? I know this is something that you've thought about a lot and you said, and I agree, it doesn't have to be that there's government involvement here. Is there another model where maybe we want some government oversight, but not in the form of legislation like we've seen what's happened with Section 230 and the Communications Decency Act and how congressional legislation, when it comes to developing technology, sometimes has unintended consequences? I don't think this specific issue of mitigating deep fakes and fake audios and so on is a policy problem. I think it's a technological problem. I believe if industry uh, could come up with a way to have watermarks that are really hard to hack, they would do that. Uh, So I don't think it's really a legal issue. I think it's more a technological issue. That makes sense. And we spent some time talking about deep fakes because I think going into election season, it's something that people are concerned about. I know that there's also concern that algorithms might be biased. And I'm wondering if you could preview for us a little bit, how can businesses and or the government try and promote DEI initiatives and accessibility as a key part of these AI programs? There are a couple ways to do this. One is you could try to regulate the program itself, which is could be messy and could be difficult. Uh, another way would be to try to regulate the outcomes of the program. So you could require auditing and validation and testing. Uh, and honestly, actually, there's, there's also a third way that's sort of separate from the program itself, which is basically disclosure. So we have a very robust legal system that protects people's rights. And let's say uh, you have been discriminated in the workforce and you feel like you were fired or, or not hired for inappropriate reasons, you would be able to sue uh, their employer and then the legal system kicks in and then there would be all sorts of things that happen. You may win, you may not win, but at least there's an entire process. If an employer is using, let's say, AI to make its hiring decisions, you might not know that. So 
requiring disclosure, I think would be helpful. And then if you believe you've been discriminated against and there was an AI program doing it, then you could bring a lawsuit and then you have the whole legal system uh, that's already been set in place to deal with these kinds of issues to then address that specific claim. That makes an enormous amount of sense to use a pre-existing framework that's already there. I know we've talked a little bit about benefits of Congress taking maybe a more hands-off approach. Maybe um, I've heard you speak about leaving certain questions to federal agencies, maybe using the FDA as an example of how that can function. Is there something different about the transportation sector where maybe we want more legislation or more guidance from Congress, thinking about planes, trains, automobiles? So let me give you my perspective of regulating AI as a lawmaker. And to me, the way I think about it is two bodies of water. You've got a large ocean of AI and then this small lake of AI. So large ocean of AI is all the AI we don't care about. So if you're a smart toaster, has a preference for wheat toast over white toast, we don't care about that. But in the small lake of AI is the AI that we might want to care about. So the first is AI that can destroy the world. And the Department of Defense has a class of weapons known as autonomous weapons, weapons that launch automatically. I've introduced bipartisan legislation, and it's also bicameral, that basically says, no matter how amazing AI ever gets, we're never going to let it launch a nuclear weapon by itself. There always has to be a human in a loop uh, in the nuclear weapon launch approval process. Second would be AI that isn't going to uh, necessarily destroy the world, but could kill you individually. And as you said, there's a lot of AI in moving objects, planes, trains, automobiles. So I think we should have more regulators who look at these issues and more regulators trained in the unique aspects of AI to deal with these issues. And then the last bucket is basically harm from AI that doesn't kill you or won't destroy the world. And that's a much harder bucket to deal with because it is in so many different possible areas of society, such as, for example, facial recognition technology. Right now, uh, it is pretty amazing, but it also is less accurate for people with darker skin. So if you deploy this nationwide at law enforcement agencies, my view is it's a huge equal protection violation because minorities will be misidentified at higher rates. By the way, I have legislation uh, to put guardrails on facial recognition technology. I've seen that. Do you have an update on that legislation? I know you're working under a new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Um, Actually, this brings up a broader question I had for you, which is, does regulation of AI and or questions related to AI, does it break down along predictable partisan lines or is it a different type of question? Does it break down maybe along generational lines, for instance? I think it's hard to tell at this point because of how new generative AI is and how fast moving it is. A lot of what's happening in both the Senate and the House is simply getting members up to speed on what AI is, what generative AI is, and what it can do and what it can't do. I've introduced certain pieces of legislation and a number of them have been bipartisan. So I think it's a little early to tell how it might break down if it does along partisan lines. I know that your time is understandably very limited. So as we end our discussion, I'm wondering if you just said something so important, which is a lot of the time right now is spent on educating all of us, educating your colleagues, um, educating your constituents. And 
are there one or two or three things that you wish people knew and or were preparing for when it comes to this generative AI, when it comes to new technology? Are there things where if you could reach people and say, I just want you to know this, that you would share that with them? I do. So with these large generative AI models like ChatGPT uh, or Google's Bard or Microsoft's Bing, I think the most important thing for people to know is that they are not designed to seek the truth. They are designed essentially as popularity models. And I want folks to understand that just because it generates for you three paragraphs with pleasing sounding sentences doesn't mean that it's true. It could be totally bonkers. And the first thing folks should know is that these are not truth-seeking algorithms. That's very helpful to remember. As I recently just said, um, write an article about blank in the style of Jessica Levinson. And it was not, in fact, uh, truth-seeking, but it did sound alarmingly like me. And Congressman Liu, thank you so much for your time. You have been a friend of the show, a friend of Loyola Law School, where I work, and a friend in every way. So Congressman Liu, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know that there are heavy demands on it, and I want to wish you and your family a wonderful holiday. Uh, Thank you, and thank you to your viewers as well.